Hi everyone, Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us and he has a word for you today, we are sure of it. Take some time out to listen and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. Family, let's pray. God, I thank you for each and every person here. We never take it for granted, this opportunity that we have to come and minister together. I pray that you give me your inner wisdom to speak life into each and every person. I also pray that everybody under the sound of my voice will get something out of the word today they can use. They can use and make their lives better. God, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but they will be able to use this message and make their lives better immediately. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Lift your word of God up, please, and say this with me. Say, this is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God-breathed, and I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out into the person God created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God and shall forever be to me my Bible in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, family, our topic of discussion has been and continues to be trust in God. The Bible tells us, our policy tells us in straight and direct terms that we are to trust in him. If we look at Proverbs, Chapter 3 in the Passion Translation, starting in verse 5, the Bible, our policy reads like this. Trust in the Lord completely and do not rely on your own opinions. With all your heart, rely on him to guide you and he will lead you in every direction, in every decision you make. Become intimate with him in whatever you do and he will lead you wherever you go. Don't think for a moment that you know it all, for wisdom comes when you adore him with undivided devotion and avoid everything that's wrong. Then you will find the healing refreshment your body and spirit long for. The important point here, or the major important point here that we've been harping on over and over and over, is that the scripture that we just read does not say that we are to trust God sometimes. It doesn't say, hey, let your trust in God be 50-50. It doesn't say that we ought to trust God whenever it feels good or we ought to trust God whenever situations are favorable. No, it doesn't say that. It says that we are to trust God and after that we just put a period right there, period. We trust God no matter what's going on. We trust God no matter what we feel in life. We trust God no matter what we look in life. We trust God, family. As believers, that's what believers do. We trust God. Now, trusting in God takes us acknowledging and accepting two components. The first component is commitment. And as believers, we hear that word all the time. 
commitment. As a matter of fact, we take that word, we stand on our soapbox and we tell the whole world, I am committed to God. And that's a good thing. But commitment is not all you need. If you want your trust in God to be complete, you also have to slip in that thing, devotion. We have been giving you messagings after different messages, just dropping hints, dropping direct points that, hey, commitment and devotion, those things are different. Now, I want to show you this image. It's an image that you're going to be familiar with. It's an image we've seen before. It is the image of commitment on the top, devotion on the right side, commitment on the left side, and it's going to have a silhouette of a soldier on the left under commitment, and it's going to have a silhouette of the heart under devotion. What is that supposed to mean? We've already gone through it a little. We said the reason why we put that soldier under commitment is that when you think about commitment, I want you to think about following orders. I want you to think about following instructions. I want you to think about, hey, just playing out, just keeping your word, commitment. But when you think about devotion, I want you to think about a heart-driven loyalty. If we were to put these things, though, in more expressive terms today, here's what I would tell you. Commitment. Commitment, those are the actions that you see. Devotion, that's the driving force you don't see. Commitment, commitment, that's the movement of your hands and your feet. Devotion, that's the beating of your heart. Commitment, the commitment is that thing that say, hey, let's get this thing started. But devotion, devotion say, hey, let's finish what we started. Commitment, commitment is that thing that says, hey, let's run into battle. What does devotion say? Devotion is that thing that says, I shall not quit. Therefore, I cannot be defeated while you in the battle. That's devotion. Now, let's take this to another image today. We're going to show you an image of a car. These are x-ray images of a car. I want you to notice the top says commitment, and it's focused on the visible features of the car, the thing that you can see. The bottom image is the x-ray within the car, pointing to in this example, the engine. So the inner workings is devotion. It's the thing that you don't see. It's the driving force that gets that top image to move. That car can be going down the interstate at 100 miles per hour. I'm talking about clear blue skies, nothing blocking its way. Hey, not a cop in sight. So you just ride. But let me tell you, loved ones, if that engine loses access to fuel, or if the spark plugs stop working, that car is destined to stop. 
Interestingly, at the moment, the fuel system or the ignition system failed. For that instant, that car, because of its existing momentum, still appears to be maintaining its same speed. But that appearance is momentary. Without those internal components providing that internal spark to give that car its thrust, that car's speed will eventually begin to slow down until that car comes to a grinding halt or halt. Everything that we've been talking about, of course, has been relative to the internal combustion engine, you know, your gasoline-type engine in your car. But this example still works with an EV or electric vehicle. Same principle. That vehicle can be getting it down the road. But in order for that vehicle to maintain its momentum, its power source, its internal power source, or its battery must be charged. If the charge in that battery dissipates, if the impulses that feed that electric motor, if it stops, if it fails, if it goes away, guess what? That car is destined to stop. Family, the exact same thing is true with your commitment. The exact same thing is true with my commitment. Once devotion stops, once devotion stops fueling commitment, once devotion loses its spark, once devotion loses its charge, once devotion loses its impulse, once devotion loses its energy, once devotion, which is the driving force behind commitment, once that thing fails, commitment goes on borrowed time. Devotion, family. It's the heartbeat, ba-boom, ba-boom, behind the passion for what you do, ba-boom, 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 devotion, ba-boom. But once devotion stops, commitment goes on life support. Devotion, family, devotion makes all the difference. Now, Jesus knows how important it is for commitment and devotion to work in unison. He knows that a commitment backed by devotion, that thing right there is solid. A commitment backed by devotion is unwavering, is unrelenting. A commitment backed by devotion is steadfast. A commitment backed by devotion, that thing is trustworthy. Jesus knows that Devotion, it makes all the difference. Listen to what Jesus says to his followers in Luke. We're going to be reading out of the Passion Translation. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 23. There is no doubt in Jesus' mind that commitment backed by devotion that's A1 right there. Verse 23, Jesus said to all of his followers, if you truly desire to be my disciple, you must disown your life, 
completely embrace my cross as your own and surrender to my ways. For if you choose self-sacrifice, giving up your lives for my glory, you will discover true life. But if you choose to keep your lives for yourselves, you will lose what you try to keep. The key message that Jesus is trying to get, get to people right here is, hey, listen. I hear you say you want to follow me. I know you want to be my disciple. I know you want to say you want to be in my group or on my team. I hear what you're saying. Just know what you're trying to commit to. Make sure you have some devotion to back it up. Go down to verse 56. Same chapter, because Jesus expresses this contention further down as well. Starting in verse 56, it says, so they went to another village instead. Just for a quick note right there, the reason why it starts there is that in the village he was in, Jesus couldn't get, he couldn't get no love, for example. He couldn't get folk to let him stay and hang out. So he was like, you know what? We're just going to go somewhere else. It says, So they went to another village instead. On their way, someone came up to Jesus and said, I want to follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, yes, but remember this. Say, remember this. Okay. But remember this, even animals in the field have holes in the ground to sleep in and birds have their nests. But the son of man has no place to lay down his head. Jesus is saying, listen, I know you say you want to follow me. I know you say you want to be my disciple. But just realize, hey, animals have holes to sleep in. In other words, oh, you're going to be challenged. Birds have their, their, their nests that they can sleep in. Oh, yeah, you're going to experience some trouble for what you say you want to do. But the son of man has no place to lay his head. If you think you're just going to stay committed just because of what you say, you got another thing coming because as troubles come, you need to have something strong enough to get your commitment to stand. And that's going to be devotion. If you don't bring devotion with you, son, you might be short lived on this thing. Jesus replied, yes, but remember this. Even animals in the field have holes in the ground to sleep in and birds have their nests. But the son of man has no place to lay down his head. Jesus then turned to another and said, come be my disciple. He replied, someday I will, Lord, but allow me to first fulfill my duty as a good son and wait until my father passes. Look at verse 59 for me. Go a little bit further in that in that verse, if you can, please. OK, go back up. I apologize. Go back up one more. I'm reading 59 again, please. Okay, come be my disciple. Go to the next line.
It's all good. Y'all say, I'm patient. I'm patient. I'm patient. Go to the next line for me, please. Because I want you to see this. The part I want you to see is the person said something to the effect, but first allow me to, there it is. Okay, it's, that's all right, different translation, but we can, we can use that. It says, but he replied, Lord, permit me first. So in the Passion Translation, it says something to the effect, he said, but first allow me to. All right, everybody say, but first. All right. I want you, there, there, right there. Ooh, look at that. But allow me first. So we can, we can get away the allow me because the next person is going to say something similar. Get used to that allow, get that, just say, but, I know I'm talking fast. It says, but first allow me to. We can move that around and just make it a but first. Jesus then said to another, turned to another and said, come be my disciple. He replied, someday, 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 don't put off for tomorrow what you can devote to God right now. We know that tomorrow's not promised, but beyond tomorrow not being promised, you don't know when devotion to God can start the promise that he promises you flowing in your life. So the someday that you're putting off may not just be the someday for what you got to do for God, but what he can get to you. Someday. He replied, someday I will, Lord, but allow me first to fulfill my duty as a good son and wait until my father passes away. Jesus told him, don't wait for your father's burial. Let those who are already dead wait for death. As for you, go and proclaim everywhere that God's kingdom has arrived. Still another said to him, Lord, I want to follow you too. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. What does, what does he say? First two words. But first, you've got to be kidding me. Still another said to him, Lord, I want to follow you, but first, but first, but first, but first, let me go home and say goodbye to my entire family. Jesus responded, why do you keep looking back to your past and have second thoughts about following me? If you turn back, you are not fit. For God's kingdom. Jesus received responses that began with but first. Or I can say it this way. He received but first responses. All right, I'm going to tell you something. I have this. <laughs> I have this thing with my wife, Pastor Greta. I have this, this thing, this position that I take. And it's a stern position. I, I'm going to tell you up front, it's pretty stern. I don't make excuses for it. It's just how I feel. But my wife knows 
that I don't like her to but first me. What I convey to her is, sweetheart, I am committed and devoted to you. If you have a knee, that knee goes to the top of my list. If you have a want, darling, that want, it goes to the top of my list. I am not saying that this thing that we have together is a competition between you and me. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is I do want commitment and devotion back. Now, just so you guys know, for the record, I am not unreasonable. I'm not an ogre. I realize that there are times that my wife can't respond to my request instantly. I realize that there are moments that my wife cannot help me at that particular instant. But the reason that someone or something took top billing over me should be a good one. Should be a good one. My wife knows that nothing gets under my skin more than when her affirmative response to my request begins with a, okay, but first. My appeal is for commitment and devotion. And Jesus makes the same appeal. He makes the same appeal to his followers. He makes, he makes the same appeal to each one of us. And you know what? He doesn't pull any punches. He is direct and to the point. He says, I hear that you want to follow me. I hear that you want to be my disciple. I hear that you want to be, quote unquote, amongst amongst my folk. He says, I hear your commitment, but what I'm really listening for is your devotion. I hear the commitment come out of your mouth, but I'm really listening for your devotion. I need to know that if your plan is to stay loyal to God and to this kingdom work, or if your intent from the beginning is to but first God. Because if your intent is the latter, if you really intend on but firsting God, that is unacceptable. Because contrary to what you might believe, you cannot both be all in with God and devoted to something or someone else. Can't happen. I want you to say something with me. This statement that we're getting ready to say, I'm actually pulling it forward from another message. But it fits so well, and I think it's going to ring so true to you that you got to, got to, got to, got to get it right now. Say this with me. Commitment is often 
the first to speak, but it is devotion that really says something. Commitment is often the first thing to speak. It's easy to commit at your mouth. But it is evidence of your devotion that really says something. We have talked about commitment and devotion over and over and over again. We've talked about how they're different. And we've been through some practical examples. We're not going to do those practical examples again. But just for those of you who were not here, I'll give you a quick image of those practical examples. Those examples covered marriage. They covered employment. They covered parenting. And they also covered your relationship with your church. If you want to get the full context of what we talked about there, go to the last two sessions and pick that up. And if it doesn't show, go to the last two sessions. Oh, there it is. We went through a list of scenarios. Covering marriage, parenting, employment, and church. Go back and take a listen. Now I want you to turn to the book of Ruth. Let's give you a Bible example of commitment and devotion. I'm in the voice version of the Bible. Ruth chapter 1, beginning... At verse 1. Everybody good? All right, all right, here we go. Talking about commitment and devotion, it reads this way. A long time ago, when judges still ruled over Israel and the land was dried up with famine, a man from Bethlehem, which ironically means place of bread, say place of bread which ironically means place of bread, left his home in Judah to live as a foreigner in the land of Moab. He traveled with his wife and their two sons. This man, <laughs> this man left a place called the place of bread because there was a famine. That's irony. The name of the place does not match the situation. Such irony can challenge a believer's commitment. What do I mean? When God says that you are more than a conqueror, but it looks like you're losing, do you still stay committed to him? When there is an irony between what the thing is called and what it looks like, do you still stay committed to him? When God says that he will supply all your needs, when he says that, hey, listen, I want you to have life and have life more abundantly to the full until it overflows. When, when that's the situation that he says he wants you to be in, but... You look at your need list and that thing keeps 
like looks like it's growing. You look at what's supposed to be abundance and it kind of looks to me, God, like I'm in a, a land of lack. When, when God says that your cup should be overflowing and you look at it from your point of view, your cup is not overflowing. Your cup is not even full. Shoot, your cup got more empty in it than anything else. When that is the situation, when the situation, that thing that God has said, the thing that God has called you to be, when it doesn't line up to what it looks like, do you still stay committed to him? This man left a place called the place of bread because of a famine. He was living in irony. Irony sometimes can get a believer to shuck and jive on a commitment. Hey, what about you? God says that he'll never leave you. He says he'll never forsake you. He says, listen, I'll never give you up. I'll never release my hold on you. I'll never let you down. I'll never leave you without support. Absolutely, assuredly not. But you feel all alone. You feel all by yourself. You feel like, don't nobody care about me. When God says he'll never leave you, but when you look at your situation from your view, you feel all alone. My question is, do you still stay committed to him through that irony? If your devotion is up to the challenge, your commitment will stand. But if your devotion is shaky, then your commitment to God going to be weak in the knees. In fact, your commitment might just walk out the door. Family devotion, it makes all the difference. A long time ago when judges still ruled over Israel and the land was dried up with the famine, a man from Bethlehem, which ironically means place of bread, left his home in Judah to live as a foreigner in the land of Moab, he traveled with his wife and their two sons. His name was Elimelech and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were called Malon and Chilion, Chilion, Kilion, I think that's how they say that. They were descendants of Ephraim's tribe from Bethlehem in Judah. They had settled and made lives for themselves in Moab. But soon after, Elimelech died, leaving Naomi to care for their two sons. That's one thing that happened. Check this out, though. Each son married a woman from Moab. One was named Orpah, Orpah, the other Ruth. They lived together for 10 years before, here we go, Malon and Kilion died also. Naomi was left alone without her husband and her two sons. She wasn't the only one left alone. Orpah and Ruth were left alone, too. These women now have been thrusted into a reality that was very unexpected. They have been thrusted into an undesired position. And each one has to make their own decision as to what they're going to do. Verse 6, the word had reached Moab that the eternal had once again brought back life to the land of Israel and blessed his people with food. So, hey, the famine's over. Now the name matches the situation. 
Naomi prepared to return with her daughter and daughters-in-law with Orpha and Ruth at her side. She began her journey back to Judah, leaving the place where she had lived. I, I, I keep chuckling on the inside of me because I got to tell you, because if I don't say it, I'm going to end up saying it by mistake. I keep wanting to call that lady Oprah. I keep wanting to call the lady Oprah and, and think of, you know, Oprah Winfrey Networkers. I don't know why it just looks so close to Oprah. So if I call that lady Oprah, y'all know I mean Orpah, however you say it. Good Lord. <laughs> Leading into verse 8, Naomi to Orpah and Ruth says this. You have accompanied me far enough. You must return to Moab. Go home to your mother's care and your people. Okay, this is the first request for them to go home. May the eternal show his loyal love to you just as you demonstrated it to my dead sons and me. I hope he will bring you new husbands and that you will find rest you deserve in their homes. She drew close, kissed them, and turned to go her way alone. But Orpha and Ruth wailed and sobbed, crying out loud. Naomi has said, hey, listen, I want you all to go. And both of these women say, no, we're not going anywhere. They decide to stay. At that moment. Verse 10. Orpha and Ruth say, do not leave us. We insist you take us with you to live with you and your people. They are insisting to stay. Verse 11. Naomi says again, go back to your homes, my daughters. What possible reason would you have for returning with me? Do you think there are more sons inside of me? Will you marry these unborn sons? Now, she's once again, she's giving us some details. She said, listen, I didn't tell you one time you should go back to your to where you come from. And what I mean by that, ladies, is listen, I'm past childbearing age as far as I can tell. I'm not expecting to marry. If I were even able to get married and have children again, she's going to go in and say, listen, if you were to try to marry those sons, you'd have to wait for them to go from birth to infant to crawling to walking to talking to going through elementary school, so to speak, going to middle school, going to high school and becoming grown folk. And then they can marry you. I can't ask you to wait like that. Go back home to your mama now. Here's how the Bible says, it, though. That was Benjamin Smith's version. The Bible says it this way. She's continuing to talk. Verse 12. Listen to me, daughters, and go back. I am too old. I will not marry again because I cannot conceive. But even if I could, if I still believe there was hope for me, or if I had a husband and conceived sons tonight, like today, if that thing went down right now and poof, babies was in the womb today. If I had a husband and conceived sons tonight, would you waste a lifetime waiting for them to grow up? 
Would you let this hope for the future keep you from remarrying now? Of course not, my, my dear daughters. It is obvious that the eternal has acted against me. My life is much too bitter for you to share with me. At this, Orpha and Ruth wailed again. It's like the same thing. They wailed and wept just like they did before. But here's the switch. Then Orpha kissed Naomi and said goodbye. Let's just kiss, right? And say goodbye. And return the way she came home, yet Ruth refused to let Naomi go. After being asked twice, Orpha and Ruth are no longer on the same page. Orpha heard the information, processed the information, and says, love you. I'm out. Ruth says, I'm still going to stay. A quick side note. That is not something that we're using to make a negative comment about Orpha. She had a decision to make. And she made the best decision with what was presented to her at the time. There is nothing negative about what she did. We are not here to shine a negative light on Orpha. What we're here to do is shine a good light on commitment and devotion. <coughs> and the example that Ruth sets allows us to do so. Orpha's decision is good, and we believe Ruth's decision is because her devotion drove her to do so. Verse 14 again, at this, Orpha and Ruth wailed and wept again. Then Orpha kissed Naomi, said goodbye, and returned the way she, can, she had come. Yet Ruth refused to let go of Naomi. Verse 15, Naomi says, look at your sister-in-law. She has returned to live with her people and to worship their gods. Go and follow her. Now, this is the third directive that Ruth has received to, hey, go back home. And each time she responded with few words, but this time is different. Listen to what Ruth says. She's going to fully express her position. Verse 16, Ruth says, stop pushing me away, insisting that I stop following you. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will also die and be buried there near you. May the eternal one punish me and even more so if anything besides death comes between us. She says, listen, I want you to stop telling me to leave you alone. I want you to stop telling me to go away. I am with you. Hey, guess what? Until death do us part. I am devoted. Starting at verse 17, she says, 
wherever you die, I will also die and be buried there near you. May the eternal one punish me even more so if anything besides death comes between us. That's a model of devotion and commitment, commitment and devotion working together. That's that that's commitment and devotion on display. The first two times Naomi asked Ruth to leave, Ruth said no with her commitment on display. The last time she asked her to leave, she let the heart of her devotion do the talking. I want you to also go up to verse 16, and I want you to notice something. Go back up one verse for me, please. What does that last line say? Your God will be my God. Now, Naomi said, I want y'all to go back home to your people and guess, hey, to your God. But I'm telling you, family, there is something that happened all those years that Ruth was living with Naomi and her family. Whatever she saw, God, however she saw God working in their life, however she saw God giving them blessings. Hey, guess what? God brought them from a place of famine and provided from them in a foreign land. There is something about the life that was being lived before Ruth that she now says, hey, bump my people. And guess what? Too bump my God. I think her devotion not just stems from devotion to Naomi, but there is something that got sparked in Ruth compared to the God she knew. I know my people got a God. But over all these years, I've seen your God do something my God has never done. So she says, not only will I live where you live, not only will your people be my people, I'm not going back to my land. I know I'm from Moab, but I'm coming with you. I know I got a mom and them. I know I got people, but forget them. I'm coming with you. And I know I had a God from where I came from, but the God that you serve is better than my God. So my God is going to be your God. Stop telling me to leave. There is something that Ruth picked up by living with those folks that told her, this is where I'm supposed to be. And her devoted, her devotion not only got weaved to Naomi, but her devotion got weaved to God. Verse 18. When Naomi heard this and saw Ruth's resolve, she stopped trying to talk her out of returning to Judah. When Naomi heard Ruth's position and the passion with which she stated that position, in other words, when she heard Ruth's devotion, Naomi stopped asking that girl to leave. 
because she realized that devotion has her commitment locked, solid, steadfast, unwavering, trustworthy. Family, devotion makes all the difference. Now, Ruth's response to Naomi, that gives us a key to defending our relationship with God against challengers. We, we, we know our relationship with God has challengers. We know it has challengers. Those challengers can be from external. They can be outside. They can be internal. Remember, worry. The challenger can be you. You can be the challenge to your relationship with God. I can be the challenge to my relationship with God. But no matter the challenger, turn to James chapter 4 in the Amplified Classic starting in verse 7. No matter the challenger, you must do what you got to do to express with passion your position that you're going to stay committed and devoted to God. Listen to what James writes. James 4, chapter 7, Amplified Classic, talking about resisting the devil and he will flee. It says, so be subject to God, resist the devil, stand firm against him, and he will flee from you. That same verse in the Message Bible. So let God work his will in you. Yell a loud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Same verse, the voice translation. So submit yourselves to the one true God and fight against the devil and his schemes. If you do, he will run away in failure. Now I want you to know something. It's talking about resisting the devil and resisting the devil and any challenger means that you need to be willing to do what you got to do to keep your relationship with God intact. I want you to say something with me. Because the stance that you need to have with God and your relationship with him, by the way, your stance is going to be a direct reflection of your trust in him. But just like Naomi made her passionate stance known, excuse me, Ruth made her stance known to, to Naomi, you got to make the same stance known to your challengers. You got to let it be known. And that letting it be known can come through what you say and come through your position, how you stand. And yeah, sometimes how you fight. All right, say this with me. It's a little lengthy, but just hang with me. Let's say this together. 
You're going to say this to all your challenges. Here we go. Say, to all my challenges. You can stop trying to push me away from God. I will continue to trust in him completely. I no longer give you free access to infect my devotion. If I have to resist you, I will. If I have to use my voice against you, I will. If I have to fight you, I will. My undivided devotion is to God. Wherever he says to go, I will go. Whatever he says to do, I will do. Whatever he says to say, I will say. He will always be my God and I will remain committed and devoted to him for as long as I live. Family, give God some praise. Loved ones, devotion makes all the difference. Trusting in God is a combination of commitment and devotion. But make no bones about it. Devotion is that inner drive that gives life to your commitment. Let's pray. God, I thank you that each and every person here has come and they've heard your word and they've heard it with a heart to receive. Our prayer is oh so simple. That each and every person receive from the message that thing that you had for them to receive such that their trust in you gets closer to being complete. We all took away tasks last time to really search through our commitment and devotion to you. And if by chance you reveal something to us that kept that commitment and devotion from being what it needs to be, that we would begin to work on that. We also shine the same light or ask for that task to be done in other areas of our life. Look around at the things that we're involved in. Look around at the people that we interface with and see whether or not we have that commitment and devotion in the right spot. And if we find places that we should make a change, hey, make that change. And we believe, God, that we are well on our way to one, having complete trust in you, and two, having our other levels of commitment and devotion within our lives in the right place. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. As always, we pray that the word of God blesses you 
not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.